I might have to. Are you nervous? I'm nervous. I'm just, you know. A little, a, a little bit, but like, let, let's just be cool about it. Not, uh... <laughs> All right. So I, I think. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this inaugural episode of The Numbers. I'm Eric Grenier, and I'm joined by Philippe J. Fournier. Philippe, how you doing? You're in Quebec City. I am in Quebec City. Good morning, everybody, and bonjour, Eric. It's good to see you. I'm very glad to uh, to get this project going. We've been thinking about this for, well, over a month. Well, more than a month, but we've been announcing this for a month now. Very begin, uh, excited to begin this. And yes, I am in Quebec City because you may have heard that uh, Pierre Poilievre is in town. Uh, there's the uh, Conservative Party convention in Quebec City, and I'm in my hotel room, uh, just getting ready to. Uh, I, I received my accreditation, and I'm just getting ready to cover that. So it's going to be an interesting sight to see, especially given the polls that we have seen in the last few weeks and last few days. Yeah, and I guess you must be friendly with the Conservatives to get that accreditation. I, I read <laughs> on Twitter that Tasha Carradine did not get it, uh, yeah. but I guess she was trying to apply as a National Post person rather than as the former. What head of Jean Charest's Jean Charest. <laughs> uh, conservative leadership campaign? So, so good. Like, good for you that you got that accreditation. I mean, well, I, I guess, I guess I, you're one of the good ones. You're one of the I, good ones. I do not have many enemies since I delve in numbers, uh, but uh, yes, I saw that many journalists were not accredited. It's going to be funny to see who is there. Uh, I know, I, I know many journalists who are there, but who on the more uh, on, on the fringes? Is going to be there, so I'm going to tour the convention floor in a few hours, and um, you know, we'll speak about it, the details of that uh, in the next week's episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, why don't we just dive right into it? I think that we probably have to talk about uh, the poll. So, uh, you know, we're recording on Thursday morning, as we're going to do uh, throughout uh, this podcast in the future, uh, and we got some new polls out this morning. So, we had two from uh, Abacus Data and from the Angus Reid Institute, and Abacus had a 14-point lead for the Conservatives, which I think is the biggest we've seen yes, in any is. poll. Maybe one yeah. of the Main Street polls might have had a big gap like that at some point. But uh, 14 points for Abacus, 12 points for the Angus Reid Institute, uh, 40%, 39% for the Conservatives, 27%, 26% for the Liberals. It seems like this drumbeat of polling is coming out. I'm guessing it's just because of the convention, the start of the political season and all this. So it, it sounds really bad for the Liberals, but... Uh, these are big numbers. At this point, oh, yeah. it's it's clear that something has happened. Oh, absolutely. And when we compare it, I mean, some people took a break during the summertime to, to escape politics and the news. And perhaps they're starting this week, you know, and the week after Labor Day, school starts, uh, the routine starts. And then you see, oh, wait, when I left politics in June, the conservatives had a three to five point lead. And now suddenly it's double digits. Uh, it could be a surprise. And I must say, I'm surprised too, not because of the performance of the parties, but usually summertime is a slow time. We don't see much movement in the summertime. Uh, and the uh, the liberals are just falling off the cliffs. Obviously, we have to also mention the Nanos rolling poll that shows completely yeah. different numbers, 32-32. Uh, we're not going to divulge the, the, the details of numbers because they are paywalled, but it's a, it's a tie between the liberal and conservatives. But this poll is alone. In, in, um, it, it looks really like an outlier, although I'm not ready to say that because we need more time. But considering the, the Leger poll, the Main Street poll, and now this morning, two new polls fielded in the same dates, uh, late August to early September, uh, something has happened. And Eric, in the past, 
I think even though the Conservatives were leading by four or five points nationally, we could always, always look at the regional numbers and say, mm. well, it's not that bad for the Liberals. Well, uh, right now, <laughs> we see double-digit leads in Ontario. And if that happens, Eric, it's most likely uh, very close to a majority territory for the Conservatives. Yeah, the Abacus poll has a little bit less. It's eight points in Ontario, but they do have them ahead in the greater Toronto-Hamilton area. Uh, so that means winning a lot of potential oh, yeah. seats. You, you wonder if they can win... You know, the Mississaugas and the Bramptons in the last election, the gaps were really big and the swing has to be really big. But they're also the kind of regions that swing when there's a big swing going on. Uh, But in the uh, uh, Angus Reid poll, 12 points for the Conservatives in Ontario, 16 in the 905. Yeah, uh, which is just a slaughter, right? Like that's going to be a blue wave in the suburbs and probably getting into the inner suburbs in Toronto. So. Yeah, there's not, there's like no silver linings for the Liberals here. They're either down or tied in Atlantic Canada. The Bloc Québécois is now usually ahead in Quebec. And in the Abacus poll, or the Angus Reid poll, was a six-point gap for the the Bloc in Quebec. Um, But you said, you know, something's happening. And I find that's what's confusing a bit. Because it's not clear what happened this summer. (laughs) It's almost as if the only thing that I can think of that really happened over the summer was there was the cabinet shuffle and... Like, you know, who really cares about a cabinet shovel? I don't think anybody does. But in a way, the, there was a, a, a bit of a media narrative that this cabinet shuffle was not good, that it didn't really accomplish anything, didn't move the... And it, it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. Like, there was this conversation that the the shuffle seemed to be a damp squib, and Poiliev had the new ads that came out. Yeah. And it just seemed like it, it was almost as if everybody just kind of decided, oh, okay, I guess the liberals are in, in, in deep trouble right now. And and I think that kind of filtered into a lot of people who might have said that, okay, then I guess we, this is a change election and, and I'll get on that bandwagon. So, But aside from that, like what happened this summer that would explain uh, this drop in support for the liberals? Well, let's talk about the cabinet shuffle, for instance. Not the details of who went where, but uh, you know there was a poll that I commissioned from Palace Data, uh, a new polling firm uh, headed by Joseph Angolano. Uh, and uh, you know the question was, did the recent cabinet shuffle by Justin Trudeau improve your perception about the current federal government? Now, you would not think that a July shuffle would make that big an impact, but when you divide it by region, uh, it's basically one out of six Canadians that said, oh yeah, it did a good impact where 61 percent six out of ten canadians say a negative impact and when you look at the, the the breakdown per voting intention so even the partisan divide is not that great oh not even half of, of liberal voters uh say that their perceptions were improved by the cabinet shuffle so it was a swing and a miss for justin trudeau uh to do it in july was also a bit strange although again maybe you want to you know, uh, take the the, the 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 quiet time of summer to do this. But if this is a card in your sleeve, uh, this one this one was utterly wasted. I mean, it's it, I think that's that's uh, one we can say. But let's go back for a second here at the. Um, the Abigas poll. I see that below for people below the age of 45, the Liberals are running third behind the NDP. And so I know older voters tend to vote in greater numbers, but that's not true in change elections. And so 
Uh, I know the election is two years away, but this has to be a huge wake-up call for the liberals since, you know, they, they have basically two years unless the NDP pulls the plug. But they have two years to fix this. And usually time is not on an incumbent side. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's really the <clears throat> question right now is the NDP, because uh, we all assume, and I think it's correct, that the NDP doesn't want to go to an election. They don't really have a lot of money. When you look at the... Um, the annual uh, returns that they had at the end of 2022, they still were carrying a loan of several million dollars and only raised 2.6 million so far this year. And this is a party that has a lot of overhead for the size of the party. If you look at their structure of their salaries and their office expenses, they're not that much further behind the conservatives and the liberals, but they don't raise as much money, right? So yeah, exactly. it, 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 you do think that that has to be consideration. They can always just go to a bank, you get a line of credit, before an election campaign, so you can spend some money. But the more you do that, if you don't, you don't want to get deeper and deeper in debt, because at some point it's going to really be a problem. But I, I don't know. For the NDP, look at these numbers. Uh, they're second place among those under the age of thirty, and they're more or less tied with the Liberals in that thirty to forty-four group. Um, do they keep supporting the government? You know, there's lots of this. Uh, Jagmeet Singh coming out this summer saying he has some demands to make. But again, I'm just not sure. I don't know what the the demand, what the strength of that leverage is, right? Because how how seriously do, do the liberals think that the NDP will be willing to pull the plug? They, I, I, I do not see, given those numbers, giving those levels of support, that the NDP has much leverage. I mean, yes, the government right now is unpopular and their liberals are trailing in voting intentions, but it's not like the NDP is doing well either. Uh, you know, between 16 and 20 percent in polls. This is the, the cruising speed of the NDP between election cycles. So uh, Jack B. Singh has not been able to grow the base in the past, what, five years he's been leader now. And so, um, you know, if he goes to liberals and says, I want this and this and that, the liberals could say, well, you're going to put Pierre Poiliev in, in the, you know, I was going to say 24 Sussex, but that's not happening. We know that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to put Pierre Poiliev in a PM seat. Um, so they have the luxury of time. I think they would be fools not to use it. But you have to use it wisely at this point because the numbers look awful for the liberals. You know, the, uh, did you ever see the movie Inglorious Bastards? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. You know the scene when they're in the tavern and they're playing the game and they're pretending to be Germans and there's a German soldier sits with them and then eventually they all start pulling guns on each other. And I feel like this is the kind of situation that the NDP and the liberals are in, that they each have guns to each other's heads. So it's almost like they're in this boat together, uh, to mix my metaphors even further. The NDP would likely lose some seats to the conservatives. Yes, they they could have a very bad election. You could imagine this yeah. not going well for them either yeah. uh, and losing some of their seats in the B.C. interior, northern Ontario, places that, you know, they might be able to pick up a few from the Liberals in Toronto in exchange, but you could easily imagine the NDP dropping to 20 seats or something like that. And then they just get to sit in the further back corner in a conservative majority government parliament. So yeah, you got to think that at some point... That that meeting, that negotiation between the two of them is more going to be not, here's what I can do for you, but like, how are we going to get out of this together? Because yeah. we're, we're doomed at this stage unless we figure this out. Because the NDP might like to see the liberals drop, but at some point, 
you know the NDP is not picking up any of that support, oh, right? No. So it's 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 not. I think what you mentioned is a is it a Mexican standoff? Now I'm, I'm, yes. I'm imagining Trudeau and Singh in a Mexican standoff. So yeah, um, well. yeah, it was a Mexican standoff in in in, uh, in uh, German occupied France uh, in the movie. Uh, yeah, so. I don't know. Where do, where do you want to do from here? Should we talk about this uh, convention and, and a bit more what the conservatives are hoping to get out of it? Because it seems like it's a bit of a high risk moment. It's doing high so well in the polls. Yeah, it's a high risk moment, especially the fact that it's in Quebec. And I was interested this morning. I, I woke up early and I uh, did my media rounds, uh, listened to uh, many radio stations locally and across the province. And, uh, you know, the media is covering this quite extensively. So it's not like they're being ignored right now. And so uh, will they be able to have a convention with the focus on the economy and housing and affordability? Or will it veer into this? you know abortion gender rights uh uh the environment we remember the, the the only o'toole convention in 2021 i think all that was remembered from that convention was that the the conservatives had a vote on whether climate change was real i mean it's not it's unfair because the the the, the, the motion was a bit more extensive than this but this is what people remembered and so will they be able to benefit from this? Because right now the polls in Quebec for the conservatives, I know it's small sample size, but they've been decent. Right now, this morning, Angus Green Institute, 20%, and the uh, and Abacus Data has 25% in Quebec. Now, the conservatives in their current form since the merger in, uh, in 04, or in 03 rather, uh, never had over 25% in Quebec. And so this, I mean, winning a few more seats in Quebec, we're not talking about a blue wave, but instead of the usual 8 to 10, perhaps 12, 14, 15 seats, uh, that would alleviate the pressure on winning um, most of the suburbs of Toronto and many seats in Athletic Canada. There are more paths to victory with a better performance in Quebec. And I can tell you that the Quebec media right now is watching this, con this convention. Uh, but that, to me, that's... A, that's that's a double-edged sword because, oh, you know, yeah. Quebec media is especially going to be sensitive to any uh, motions about abortion uh, and about the environment and are more likely, I would say, to make a big deal of it than maybe some uh, in, in the rest of the country, right? So, yeah. as you said, if on Monday, Tuesday, what we're talking about is about one of these motions passing uh, in Quebec— uh, then you could almost see the the risk there because I think that that was one of the things that happened with uh, the with the conservative vote in the 2019 campaign, right? The, under Andrew Scheer, they're doing okay. They were doing not too bad. Yeah. They were starting yeah. to make some inroads in Quebec. Then there was the French language debate, and Andrew Scheer couldn't really get out a clear answer on abortion, and that was it. The conservatives lost any potential gains they could have made, right? So. That, to me, is the risk here. If this is a low-drama convention, this is probably going to be a great one for the conservatives. But um, if Are it's a higher-drama one, it'll be bad news, especially in Quebec, because it's getting so much attention. Are they able to have a low drama convention? Now, this is something that we'll have to see. And I, I, you know, I'm glad to be there. I, 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 uh, I will report on this uh, next week in our next week's podcast. I will have more to say, obviously, because it starts at noon today. So nothing's happened, really. I've seen uh, some, some convention here in my hotel. But, you know, this is how it's going to feel on the convention floor. How are people going to speak to each other? How the motions are going to be voted on? Uh, I, you know, and how is Poiliev's speech? I think he gives his speech uh, on Friday night, so tomorrow. 
Um, and, uh, you know, this is going to be the, the headline, right? Uh, mm. Is he going to be able to, to hammer home his message uh, to, 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 uh, yeah, to Quebecers, especially that we'll be watching? So. Yeah. And just the last point, I, I did find it interesting that conservatives put out a little ad. I, I don't know if it played anywhere aside from online attacking the block. Um, which is a fascinating take because we've seen the conservatives go after Justin Trudeau. They don't really seem to bother going after the NDP specifically, Uh, but this was an ad targeted at the block. So it does seem like they're hoping to peel off a little bit of that support um, and have it go to the conservatives because a lot of the potential conservative gains uh, are block seats, right? Oh, yeah. Liberal seats. The, 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 the Trudeau Blanchet carbon tax I heard and I read. Uh, so the, in the, the attacks have started. And it's going to be interesting to see how Blanchet reacts. Because as you said, in Quebec, if the conservatives were to make gains, most of those gains would be at the expense of the bloc, not the liberals. And that means that Pierre Poilievre cannot just come here in Quebec City and use a, you know, a French translation of his English speak, uh, speak, you know, speech because it's not going to work. I mean, he has to attract those suburban voters in suburban Montreal and suburban Quebec City, perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps some increased support in the Saguenay region down the St. Lawrence and the eastern townships. Those are mostly uh, block seats. Uh, and how is going, Blanchet is going to react? Because... In the past, it was easy to dismiss the conservatives, right? As a, you know, the the um, the separatists, as they were referred to back then, it was easy to dismiss them. But suddenly, Harper did okay in his first two elections in Quebec, and you could just dismiss, you know, a quarter of vote, Quebec voters, right? Uh, so Blanchet is going to be on the uh, on the defense. Uh, will he answer with some attacks? Uh, I'm really looking forward to that because the tra- strategy here is going to be telling. Yeah. Uh, Before we move on to some of the provincial stuff, uh, there was the news out this morning. I don't know if you saw this about the government is going to announce their their judge for a public inquiry. I guess we'll find out maybe by the time you're listening to this, this news has already come out, what form of the inquiry it will take. There's two things I find interesting here. One, they putting putting it out today does seem like they're trying to it's hard. To, it's it's hard to believe that the liberals are seeing this as a good distraction from uh, the conservative convention. But also, the person is a judge from Quebec, uh, Marie Josée Hogg, um, and seems to be fine. I looked in the Elections Canada database, and there was someone of that name who lived in Montreal who donated to the Conservatives in 2007 and 2015. So, um, oh. It, Assuming she's not on a Trudeau Foundation, maybe she'll she will not get her reputation completely dragged through the mud over this, uh, because at least at some point she vote uh, she donated or someone of that name. We don't know if it's specifically that same person um, to some conservative writing associations uh, eight years and sixteen years ago. As if that really matters. I don't think it does, um, mm. but I think it's interesting that they're. That this is the person who seems to be finally willing to do the job, and it's it's I've never heard of this person before, which is probably great, right? Because yes, David absolutely. Johnston was was a, uh, became a lightning rod for some reason. Someone who does not seem all that interesting in terms of flashiness and drama suddenly became you know public enemy number one. <laughs> and uh, also interesting, how long will it last? And you know, does the government really want to spend most of the fall and the winter sessions talking about foreign interference. I mean, I know it's, it will be out of their hands, uh, obviously, but uh, how much is that going to taint 
the next uh, parliament session. I, I'm curious to see. But again, we don't have the num- numbers on this. We'll have to wait and see. But it seems that you know the, the foreign interference file has a bit receded in people's minds and maybe it's going to come back. I'm, I'm not sure how good that's going to play for the government. So we'll see. Uh, how about Ontario? Um, there was hmm. a poll out this week. It came from Abacus Data. Finally suggested that this uh, Greenbelt scandal affair controversy, I don't know what people are calling it, is yeah. having an impact. Uh, they're down seven points since July. They're at 34%. Um, but it, to me, it's still, you look at the other parties, they're still too far behind and they're splitting that opposition vote. Uh, Ford PCs can still kind of glide along, cruise along with these kinds of numbers. Oh, there's there's no doubt. I mean, when I saw the, the David Coletto tweeted the 34% for the PCs, I figured, oh, are the Liberals up? Are the NDP up? And then they saw that they're both up a little bit. So they're splitting that non-PC vote. So this would result in a, a reduced majority for the, for the PCs. Uh, but I think is I wonder how much people care about this. Uh, again, let's re- let's remind ourselves that not even half of Ontario voters voted last year and during the mm. general election. Now I know I, I've read the details of you know this is a, <laughs> a terrible corruption scandal, uh, but it seems that Ford appears to be Teflon on this. Uh, so in the coming months. If depending on how the Ford government reacts to this story and how we saw the housing minister resign, right? But is that going to change anything? We're not sure. It probably would have been worse had he stayed on. Um, but uh, right right now, it's for me, is the status quo for me. If the Liberals are at twenty eight instead of twenty five percent, that's that's just not a big change or not big enough to well within the margin of error over any poll. Yeah, we'll see if the numbers change in the next set of polling because if. The PCs can stay at this 34% at least, uh, then they should be fine. If they end up dropping still, though, then there might be some reason for, for them to worry, though it is still three years until the next election. The Liberals are going to choose a leader at some point, and, you know, that'll change things. But oh, yeah. um, I think the danger for Doug Ford, though, is that this story, I think, really gets out of weakness. The idea that he's there for his buddies um, yeah. rather than for the public when uh, so I was just recently in the gas bay and drove back into Ontario and in the border crossing um, that brings you into eastern Ontario, there's a sign that for welcome to Ontario. And the slogan is open for business. <laughs> and that seemed like a good idea. Maybe in 2018. Right now, it does not sound like a very good slogan. It sounds like it's it's really um it really chips away at that one thing that could yeah. really be a problem for Doug Ford, that kind of cronyism that he's there for his buddies because he's a guy who's there for his buddies. You know, it's not in the sense of of corruption, maybe, but in the sense that uh, uh, he, he still really does benefit from this perception that he's just, a, you know, he, he's just going along doing the best he can. Oops, he makes a mistake. He, he apologizes for it. But um, I, I do wonder if this is this is one of those things that, eventually gets yeah. added to a list that becomes too much. Eventually also, he will have to act like, like a conservatives if he wants to ha- to receive conservative votes. I mean, we know the, the Ford con- PCs are big spenders. They're not, they haven't acted at least as fiscally responsible governments. And uh, you wonder how long 
many conservative voters across Ontario, and we know there are a lot of them, uh, will eventually say, hang on a minute, we, we voted for conservatism. Uh, unless culture wars get in the way, we know that sometimes that's a big escape pod for conservative governments. But uh, I, if this summer scandal has put a dent of four or five points into the PCs, that probably means that it will not take them down. Unless you know it stretches in time. But uh, I, I was a bit unimpressed by those numbers, to be honest. No, oh, all right, yeah. I get. We'll see what happens, right? Because you never know. There could be. New stories that come out, some investigation, something that gets a little bit more closer to criminal kind of accusations coming from somewhere. Or maybe this is as deep as it ends up going and we end up um, we end up kind of moving on to something else in the next couple of years. It is very early in this mandate. But, you know, things like the gas plant scandal which, with the Ontario Liberals, mm. you know, it happened pretty far out from the 2018 election, but it was just one of those extra things, right? Yeah. That if we get to 2026 and there's the perception that the Ontario PCs are, you know, cronyist kind of government, there might be other examples that come up between now and then. And then that becomes just the narrative that is easy for another party to knock over. But it is going to have to require one of these opposition parties to be the opposition, to be the alternative oh, yeah. right now. Ontarians still haven't decided who is the who is the de facto government in waiting. And I've heard and read many political scientists remind that sometimes election cycles are complicated, the, the issues are complex, and sometimes it's just as simple as people are sick of you. <laughs> After eight years or nine years, people are just sick of you. And, you know, there's are many, many things to blame the Trudeau government on. But to, to go back to the federal numbers and then to Doug Ford, after eight or nine years, people are just sick of seeing your face and they want change. So Doug Ford is in his second term. At the end of this second term, this could will perhaps will we'll look in hindsight and see that as a first dent into the PC support. I'm not sure that's the case, but hindsight will help in this case. So, hey, Eric, I think we have to talk about a general election that's going on right now. There, there is a well. No, there's right? an Ontario election in three years. Why would uh, <laughs> this? I think you might be talking about Manitoba. That is correct. Manitoba dropped the writ earlier this week. Uh, and uh, well, we, we haven't seen any new polling, although Main Street Research has already announced on, on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, it's would... still Twitter.com, so I don't know why anybody's calling it X. Well, the thing is, X.com works also, but it's really? just X. Is so I, I, that yeah. sounds like a dangerous URL. I wouldn't put that in anywhere. <laughs> Well, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, but yeah, so so the Manitoba election, the, uh, we'll see Main Street's numbers, what they say. Uh, they had a poll in the summer that I, I, I didn't use for my projections because there were some problems with it. But uh, now that, you know, the writ has dropped and the campaign will begin, uh, I know that Leger has, a, has an office in Winnipeg. There's, of course, the local pollster uh, probe uh, research mm -hmm. um, that, 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 that we expect that will uh, release some numbers. So uh, this is going to be an interesting one. What's your take at the starting line of the Manitoba election? Uh, I think this is the NDPs to lose. Um, you know, there was the, the last poll from Probe, which was in June, had a tie between the PCs and the NDP. But the NDP was still way ahead in Winnipeg. Uh, and, you know, some of the, I think, the within Winnipeg numbers that Probe had out didn't really make all that much sense. So you can probably flip some of them around. Uh, but the NDP 
has been leading in the polls, or at least tied with the PCs, but usually leading, for years. Heather Stephenson is one of the least popular premiers in the country, and it does seem like her tone that she's taken over the recent period is to be a bit more negative, which mm. is probably not going to improve your personal image if you're coming off as the attack dog. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and they don't have a lot of incumbents, the PCs. Like I can't remember the number, but it's something like a quarter or, or of the caucus isn't running again. And I just think that the NDP probably is going to win enough seats in Winnipeg. I would give them right now the advantage, but it is going to be close. Uh, I don't think it's impossible that it's, it's uh, what is it, 29 seats for a majority? Yeah, that's correct. Yes, You could get both of those parties at 28, 27, 26, and then it, it all comes down to just those three liberals. But it could end up being that close. I think, uh, But I think it's going to be an ugly, ugly, ugly campaign. Well, the, the, the PCs have started their campaign. You see that the uh, it looks like they're campaigning against the federal government. I guess it's a recipe that worked for Daniel Smith mm. to mostly campaign against the Trudeau-Singh alliance and the carbon tax. Uh, you know, Manitoba is not Alberta. <laughs> Manitoba is more, far more middle of the road in terms of, uh, of, of politics. Um, and the numbers, as you said, suggested that the NDP was way ahead in Winnipeg. And so those outer suburbs of Winnipeg is where the election is going to be decided, most likely, because we expect the, uh, the, the regions, the rural regions, except for the northern parts, to go for the PC. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we could see a clear rural urban divide perhaps as stark as Alberta in Winnipeg in in Manitoba and uh, so I'll be looking forward to see what those numbers are as the starting line and also to watch the debate to see how Miss Stephenson defends herself it, will, will she go on the attack or will she play more defense uh, probably those they, they, her attitude will be modified by the numbers that are out by then yeah and the liberals uh, you know they're usually polling somewhere in the teens mid teens uh, if this campaign, it dep- if it becomes a campaign that is more of a change election, uh, the liberals might lose some of the support that they have over to the yeah. NDP, and then that could help push them over the edge. But if it if Wab Canoe doesn't perform well enough, and people still want to change, uh, then that liberal vote could be a bit of a problem. We did see in some of the by elections in Manitoba that the liberals were doing okay, like a lot yeah. better than you would expect based on where yeah. they've been in the polls. Um, so they do have the ability to get some of their vote out. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think that this is the NDPs to lose. And I do think the dynamic with the federal provincial kind of dynamic is interesting because, as you said, the PCs are going after the carbon tax, going after the liberals federally. But this isn't like Saskatchewan or Alberta where the provincial NDP does not really want Jagmeet Singh to get anywhere close to them. Right. Wab Canoe and Jagmeet Singh yeah. far closer together. Uh, the Manitoba NDP, I would say, is further to the left than those NDPs in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan. So yeah. um, it would be interesting to see if the NDP does win in Manitoba and what the federal NDP does with that. Um, because they, you know, they haven't had a win since, I guess, um, John Horgan in, in 2020. Right? Yeah. So, um, and, and then what does that mean for the Liberals in, in, in Manitoba? Does that kind of sap them a little bit? Do you see like a little bit of a bump for the NDP in the province? So that'll be something to watch as well, but only after the campaign. Well, you know, if we look at the numbers, uh, just to go back, the federal numbers in the Angus Reid poll, it has a decent size uh, sample for Manitoba, 251, 48% conservatives, 23% apiece for the NDP and the uh, liberals. So uh, this this liberal NDP brand 
is kind of weak right now at the federal level in Manitoba. So you know, perhaps this mm-hmm. is what Ms. Stephenson will try to uh, to remind her voters, look, they're the, the red and the orange team. They're against you. They're for the carbon tax. They make things more expensive. I mean, I, I think it's also always a last resort uh, strategy for any premier to attack the feds during an election. You know, in Quebec, we see it it's all the time. It's a first resort in some provinces. But yeah. Yeah, that's true. But the thing is, it works sometimes. That's the thing. That's why they use it. It works sometimes. Uh, and so, you know, if we had a conservative government in Ottawa, you think that the Web Canoe NDP or the Douglas Lamont Liberals would not point out Ottawa and say, look at those conservatives are hurting us. This, you know, this is a common strategy. Sometimes it works. We'll see if it works this time. Uh, the day before the Manitoba election, there will be a by-election. We'll talk a bit more in oh. detail on this in our French-language podcast, Les Chiefs. That's going to be fun. Um, but, yeah, that uh, there's a Jean Talon by-election, October 2nd, Quebec City ri- riding. You, are you close to it, where your hotel is? Uh, no, I'm right now, I'm right downtown next to the National Assembly, so I'm in Tachereau, but it's the one uh, oh, just okay. to uh, to the, the west of here, uh, in Sainte-Foy and Céleri, so basically where Université Laval is, and towards the St. Lawrence. I used to live there. Uh, and Jean Talon, I mean, for, for our listeners who don't know, Jean Talon is a very interesting writing. If I had to pick among all 125 writings in Quebec, pick my most interesting, Jean Talon would be right up there. Uh, it used to be a liberal stronghold. The thing is, the liberals won it straight from, I think, the early 60s. You're talking about Jean Lesage era, all the way to 1952. I'm sorry? 1952. 52, huh? So even during yeah. the, dupl- the, the Duplessis years. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So it, well, at it, least the area. Sometimes, like, you know, the name yeah, might yeah. have changed, this kind of thing. But the basic kind of area that is Jean Talon today has been li- had been liberal yep. since 1952. And even in 2018, when Philippe Couillard liberals got decimated by the CAQ, they still won that, that writing. But the uh, thing is, it's interesting. They, they won it every time. But many of those elections were really close. If you look at the results uh, in the uh, referendum era, the 94 and 98 elections, they were decided by, uh, I think one was 25 votes and one was 200 votes. So it was very close. And right now we see a resurgence of the Parti Québécois in Quebec City, which having gr- grown up in Quebec City, uh, in my teen years, <laughs> is a big surprise because you know, mm-hmm. the Parti Québécois has not been popular in, in Quebec City for a long time. And now this this strange writing that covers, uh, you know, people that are, I don't want to say rich, but <laughs> that have high income near the St. Lawrence in, in, uh, in Céleri. And then you have these students that live near the Université Laval. So it's a big mix of, of, of demographics. And uh, to have a face-to-face between the governing CAQ and the Parti Québécois, and we expect Quebec Soldat to be third, but again, they could have a good local campaign. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. So that's on Monday, October 2nd. And I think we're going to see some more local polling on this before uh, it's up. Yeah. The, yeah the, the real interesting part about this is that the CAQ has lost support in the Quebec City region. The PQ has moved into a tie in the last Leger poll. Yep. So this by-election almost becomes a bit of a test case about whether any of these numbers are real. Uh, <laughs> and if the PQ is actually doing as well as that and can actually turn this poll support into voting support. And it's weird that the party that has only three MNAs right now, if they win this by-election, their second place in the polling provincially, I think will become in the media's kind of view, the official opposition, if <laughs> they manage to 
get this fourth seat. Um, but it, it is it is a bit of a remarkable kind of mini story that the CEQ now has to worry about the Parti Québécois. That just a few years ago we were wondering if it would even become an extinct, an extinct party, right? Yeah. And yeah, they, they got another life like a like a cat. Yeah, for the, for the record, though, I would say that I've read that the PQ has been dying for years. And, of course, they haven't done well. They just had their worst election ever. But I was never part of those people. Because when you mm -hmm. poll on sovereignty, <laughs> sovereignty is still popular. It's not as popular as it used to be, but it's always you know low to mid to high 30s in support. And, uh, you know, and there's only one party that seriously campaigns on sovereignty, even though it's not the preferred option for most Quebecers, uh, you know, as long as you have that high support for sovereignty, the PQ is going to do fine. Now, the Paul Saint-Pierre-Pamondon has been able to put a lot of spotlights on him since the election, even though the PQ has only three seats. And, um, and the liberals are just directionless. They are leaderless. Uh, we don't know what they stand for. Uh, we never hear about them. <laughs> and in the in the last few polls that we saw, the liberals, the Quebec liberals, four or five percent among francophones. Can mm -hmm. you imagine, Eric? Four or five percent among francophones. So you take twenty francophone Quebecers at random. One of them supports the liberals. So and probably this... doesn't mention it. Probably keeps it to himself. <laughs> exactly. You ask him, he's like, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> so uh, so I uh, this is going to be a fun by election. Um, uh, you know, I, I think the CEQ has to be seen as the favorite uh, because it has mm. a better machine. Uh, the Parti Québécois, you know, the uh, perhaps the fact that uh, when the party is in the second term, like the CEQ is, they would be uh, kind of punished or warned by the electorate. Uh, it's just that you know, the main issue in Quebec City that that caused that movement was the abandon. Uh, of the the third link promise the 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 the, the highway that they wanted to build under the Saint Lawrence, uh, for people in Jean Talon who live near downtown, uh, the, the third link was not a popular option. <laughs> so the fact that the CQ abandoned that idea may not have cost that much support. So uh, the the PQ has raised expectations tremendously here. And mm. I, it's a strange strategy. It's not one that I would have adopted uh, if I was uh, counseling the PQ. Usually you want to under-promise and over-deliver. Now they're over-promising. Uh, and if they lose by 10 points, what will they say? You know, okay, we'll try next time. I don't know. It's, raising expectations is always dangerous in politics as in, in life. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll return to this one as it gets closer. <laughs> Uh, how about we move on to our questions? Absolutely. Uh, Let's do it. <clears throat> so every week we're going to be answering some questions from our patrons. So people who are uh, supporting us on Patreon, which you can find at the numberspod.ca and on the Discord, which is also uh, somewhere where people get access to as Patreon supporters. And the Discord started to started to live, li liven up a little bit over the last little day, a few days. So it's been fun to see that. And we did get some questions both on the Discord and on the Patreon. Um Philip, do you want to choose one? Do you want to start with one? Uh, why don't you go ahead? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll scan through. I'll scan through it. So go first. Okay. Yeah, we we did get a question from Justin Kim on Patreon about the Greenbelt controversy. We kind of dealt with that in when we were talking about the uh, uh, with the with where things stand in the polls there. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll we'll skip that one. But well, I guess the question was whether. Um, 
if Doug Ford's polling numbers continue to dip, which opposition party do you believe is more likely to pull ahead? Um, I think that we need to see who the leader's going to be of the Ontario Liberals. Yeah, that's probably the safest option. But if I had to bet right now, I mean, the NDP had its chance. Last In last year, 22 election in Ontario, the NDP lost 800,000 votes compared to 2018. Uh, and, it, you know, if they can't get traction after all this time, being the official position, having uh, higher exposure in the media, uh, if you would have to wait and see, to see how it goes for the Liberals. But I think if I had to bet on which party, which opposition party has the better shot for 2026, it, it would have to be the Liberals. Uh, I could be surprised by this, and I'm not a NDP uh, doomsayer, <laughs> but I'm just saying the numbers suggest that the Liberals should be in a better position uh, to, 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 to take this support. But uh, perhaps I'll be wrong, depending on who the leader is, as you said. Yeah, I think that'll be a big thing. But also, it's just, if you look at sort of the map and where the Ontario PCs would lose government, it yeah. would be in the uh, the GTA and the inner suburbs of Toronto. And those are almost entirely seats that the Liberals would win, right? Mississauga, yeah. Brampton, York, Durham region. Uh, the NDP just doesn't have a lot of support there. So the Liberals are probably best positioned, especially if the, if, if the Greenbelt controversy, uh, controversy itself becomes the focus. Uh, in those regions, they, they will swing to the Liberals. Uh, and especially if it ends up being Bonnie Crombie who wins, Mississauga mayor, probably in a really good position to pick up some of those seats. If it ends up being Nathaniel Erskine-Smith or Ted Shue or something like that, um, then I think uh, all bets are off. Um, how, about, uh, so we, how about this question? The one that we got from uh, ASAQC on the Discord. Uh, so he was kind of just looking for a deep dive into the writings that changed hands in 2021, uh, since yeah, so few writings question. changed hands. And, you know, obviously, because it's now two years since the last election, we'll cast this forward to what this means for the next time. Uh, but there weren't a lot of seats that moved in 2021. There was zero in Quebec. That was uh, incredible. All 78 just in seats. Nuts just yeah. stayed exactly the same. There were some variations in the vote, but all 78 winners were the same in two consecutive elections. That's oh, I, yeah, you said there was not a lot. I took the I I, I counted them. It's 22 out of 338. Only mm. 22 seats changed hands. And uh, it pretty much, uh, as we saw in the final results of the election, it pretty much evened out. So I broke it down per region. So there was six in Atlantic Canada that, uh, that changed hands, seven in Ontario, three in Alberta, and six in BC. Zero in Quebec, zero in Manitoba, and zero in Saskatchewan. And we said that you know the election most likely is going to be won in Ontario, and the majority is going to be won uh, by the Conservatives if they, they win a majority by combining gains in Ontario, Atlantic Canada, and BC. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, 12 seats change hands in Atlantic Canada and BC together. Uh, so it, I, I think it's possible. But uh, I, I tried to look at the demographics. I tried to look at the, 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 you know, what could have changed in those rising. I could not see a single factor or a, a, single, a single conducting wire between all those writings. Uh, but it was interesting how close those two elections were. I'd say that there's two things I would look at from the writings. One is the Atlantic Canada one. So the Liberals lost uh, in uh, Miramichi. Uh, they lost in Costa Bays in Newfoundland, Cumberland, Colchester, Nova Scotia, and South Shore, St. Margaret's in Nova Scotia. So they lost a lot of these rural writings in Atlantic Canada. And when you're looking at 
what's going to happen next time. Some of the polling that we've seen in Atlanta, Canada oh, yeah. suggests that a lot more seats could flip, right? So I would, you would be looking at other seats that are similar to that. A lot of the seats in in, uh, in Newfoundland on the island uh, that aren't on the Avalon Peninsula where it's St. John's and everything, but in the rest of the kind of rural Newfoundland, um, those seats could flip. You look at, uh, you know, there's not many more to flip in, in New Brunswick, uh, but in Nova Scotia, there might be a couple, uh, Cape Breton and other places on the mainland. So you can see that that kind of thing might carry over. And then the other one is the ridings with big Chinese Canadian po- uh, yeah. populations, right? Because you're yeah. looking at Richmond Center, Steveson, Richmond East, those flipped, uh, Markham Unionville, uh, and Aurora, Oak Ridges, Richmond Hill uh, also has a decent size of, of Chinese Canadians. So that was definitely an issue. Yeah. Uh, that's why this has been discussed. Now, I'm more of the belief that the tone that the, the conservatives took during the campaign against China probably did not cast the Conservative Party as a friendly party to Chinese Canadians. Um, because not all Chinese Canadians uh, feel that China's a, an awful place, right. right? So I feel like that probably had far more to do with it than a few, you know, posts on WeChat or whatever it was. But <laughs> there was clearly something that happened in the Chinese Canadian community to flip those seats from the Conservatives to the Liberals, right? Because these are these were parts uh, like it, it's just it was surprising that the Liberals were able to pick up seats, right? Oh yeah, they lost some to to make up for that, but um, so yeah, I think those are the two things. So will what will happen in those ridings next time, right? If we were using the polls to just kind of swing things around, a lot of these might swing from the liberals to the conservatives. But how are Chinese Canadians uh, who swung away from the conservatives? How are they? How are they going to react next time? I think that is going to be one of the really interesting questions, um, and and it's going to be I think really difficult for those of us who aren't members of that community to really get a good beat on what's happening. I remember on the uh, on the election night in 2021, I was uh, doing TV with uh, Bell Media. And uh, late at night, we're all tired. The, the BC results are coming in. And I see Richmond Center red on the map. I was off the off air. I, I said to the host, it's like, wait, what's going on here? Is that only one or two boxes <laughs> that are opened? Uh, you know, the, the conservatives had won that writing by 20 points and were polling better in uh, in BC than they were in the previous election. And uh, yeah, it flipped. So I would not be surprised to see those uh, those writing flip back. But, you know, something. this is something that we, in you know, the pollsters, it's really hard for them to do those polls locally because obviously not everybody, you know, wants to take a poll in a second or third language. Uh, that's that's a challenge for pollsters, pollsters have told me. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, right now, the polls suggest that we would have a huge flip in Ontario and at least a dozen seat gains in BC for the Liberals. You mentioned Atlantic Canada. Conservatives, the, yeah. Uh, the Conservatives, yes, absolutely. And you mentioned Atlantic Canada. You know, the, the Liberals went from a perfect score in 2015 to losing 4 or 5, to losing another 4 or 5. So, you know, the, the trend line here tends to be the, towards the Conservatives. So we would have, we have to watch those, uh, those closed seats in 2021. 
Okay, we did get a couple extra questions, but maybe, you know, we're not going to be able to answer everyone every episode, and sometimes maybe we'll carry them over to future weeks. So yeah, we'll spread them uh, out. If you did have a question, uh, you know, we'll see. I think you had one, you had something for me, some yes. sort of surprise. Well, I'd like to, sometimes I would like to finish episodes with a little quiz. You know, I know, I know you uh, fancy yourself, my friend, as uh, an expert on uh, Canadian elections history. And so I figured I would test you. So let's put some music in there to have some little beats for the quiz. So here's the quiz. I have five questions for Eric. Eric, of course, and I will have the honor system of not checking Wikipedia or ChatGPT or whatever <laughs> during the quiz. If you're watching this, my hands are up. <laughs> and uh, so I have five questions and I, I'll give you the team, like the, the, the Jeopardy contestant. They know, they know the categories, but they don't know the questions. So I give okay. you the, the theme beforehand. Uh, it's Ontario elections in our lifetime. And we'll switch. Of course, we start with Ontario, but sometimes we'll go federal. Sometimes we'll go Atlantic. We'll, we'll move it around. So I, I have a little quiz for you. Are you ready? I have five questions. And to win the quiz, you have to have at least three. Three out of five is 60%. It's the passing grade at my school. So okay. are you ready, my friend? Sure, go ahead. All right, Ontario elections in our lifetime. You and I are about the same age, so I was born in 1979. I think you, it's one year after. Am I wrong about this? Yeah, early 80s? Yeah, a little so. bit more than that. I'm, I'm a oh, bit younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go. Okay, Eric, it is spring of 1995. The Ontario election is taking place on June 8th, and, of course, Mike Harris of the Progressive Conservative uh, won their first of, of two majority at Queen's Park. The incumbents were, as you know, the Barbaray NDP, uh, which will be replaced after a single term in power and would never get close to power again in Ontario. In the middle were Ontario Liberals, led by Lynn McLeod, you may remember, who had been leading in most polls in the years before the writ was dropped uh, for the 95 election. So, during the leaders' debate, Mike Harris' calm and composed performance was well received by voters, and shortly after, the PC took the lead in polls and never looked back. My question for you, what was the share of the popular vote for the Ontario Liberals in that election? And my question, you don't have to get it perfectly. It has to be close to the pin. And here's how it's going to work. Uh, I rounded the answers uh, to the nearest percentage point. And I'm giving you a range or plus or minus 2%. Rounded, of course. So, for instance, if the party had... 21.7%, it's rounded up to 22. So the range, the acceptable range would go from 20 to 24. So I repeat, what was the share of the OLP in the 95 election? Oh boy. Um, all right. <laughs> I think that the NDP dropped to somewhere around 20. And if the PCs won, they won a big majority, they were probably somewhere north of 40. Um, so I'm going to guess it was 35% for the Ontario Liberals. The answer, my friend, was 31%. Accepted oh. answers from 29 to 33. So 35 would be over. The PCs won that election, of course, 82 seats out of 130, with just under 45% of the vote. So, do 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 do, zero oh. for one. Okay. Bum, bum, <laughs> Number two. Eric, we are in the spring of 1985. 
Frank ah, Miller's yes. Progressive Conservatives are the incumbent. The PCs have been in power for 42 straight years. Miller took over the PCs after Bill Davis retired. Bill Davis had been very popular and he ruled Ontario from 71 to 85. So the, the campaign began and the PCs were heavy favorite. But as it went on, the numbers tightened significantly. And in the end, the election ended in a stalemate. The PCs won a plurality of seats, 52 out of 140, uh, sorry, 130. Uh, and in June, of course, it was a minority government. And in June, the Liberal and the NDP made a coalition and uh, they took down the PCs in the uh, in a vote of confidence. The question, what was the share of the vote of the PCs in that election, the 1985 election? And I'm using the same rule. It rounded up to it rounded to the closest integer plus or minus two. Oh boy, Th this is tough. Uh, I do recall that the PCs lost the popular vote. Is that correct? Well, that would be that would be giving you a hint, my friend. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and um, yes, it's correct. Da, 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 da. Yes, it's correct. Yes, they did. Eh? just by a bit. Okay, so the NEB did pretty well. So thirty-eight. The answer was. 37. So you are Yay. well within range. 37.1. The Liberals had 37.7 of percent of the vote. And so this was the end of the PC dynasty. So you're one for two, my friend. You're doing okay. All right, so I, I need to get two of the last three correct. Okay. All right. Eric, it is 1999. Mike Harris, mm. PC, look invincible. We're the common sense revolution. But as the campaign goes on, new liberal leader Dalton McGuinty, you may have heard of him, shows strong performances and achieves something that every liberal leader needs to win, which is to attract NDP voters. It is the first election of the new NDP leader, Howard Hampton, and his party falters. My question to you, in the 1999 Ontario election, what was the share of the vote for the NDP in that election? Yeah, that, that, okay, yeah. So after Bob Ray had a, a bad go in 1995, the NDP continued to have trouble in, during the Hampton years, uh, and they didn't really get back to that vying for power or contention kind of position. So they dropped, but I don't think they dropped that bad. I'm going to say it was 16%. Oh, the answer is 12.6%. We round up to 13. Acceptable range from 11 to 15. I'm sorry, Eric. But uh -huh. that is wrong. 12.6%. That's, that's bad. That's really bad. <laughs> that's yeah, a that's, bad election. Yeah. Okay, so now I got to I gotta, I gotta run the table for the you last You have to two. run okay, the table. And the last two questions are a bit different. So here you go. Okay. Lim again, limiting ourselves to elections in our lifetime in Ontario. In what general election did the Green Party of, of Ontario break the 1% mark for the first time? Oh, okay. That's that's good. Um, okay, uh, da, 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 da. they did. They started out pretty early, doing well in Ontario, if I recall. Uh, I'm going to say it was in 1999. 0.8 percent of the vote in 1999. I'm sorry, it was 2003. It was 2003. 2003 with 2.8 percent of the vote. Their big break was the 2007 election when they had 8 percent of the vote. You may remember Frank De Young, I think his name was. 
was the leader. He eventually so. became the leader of the Yukon Greens, if you can believe it. Oh, is that so? Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. That is... I, I hope yeah. that he moved there. Beautiful place. Yes, yes. All right, so all right, so I've already did. failed, but, but let's let's see if I can at least get forty percent, which is enough to win a majority. So <laughs> that is true. Normally, that is true. Yeah. Okay, in Ontario, uh, this this could be a bit hard, but uh, it's it's, mm. it's no, it's a multiple choice question. So, in our lifetime, which party and in what year received the highest share of the popular vote in an Ontario general election? Was it? The 87 Peterson Liberals, the 95 Harris Conservatives, the 99 Harris Conservatives, or the 03 McGinty Liberals. So in our lifetime, which party and in what year received the highest share of the popular vote in a general election? I'm going between the Peterson Liberals in 87 and, and McGinty in 2003, but I'm going to say it was Peterson because that was a huge majority they won. The answer is the 87 David Peterson with 47.3% of the vote. My friend, you didn't win the quiz, but you have 40% enough for a majority, as you said. And yeah. this was yeah. the first okay. iteration oh. of the quiz, Eric. Congratulations. <laughs> you did not cheat. You did. Considerably, I think that was pretty hard. You I did, did not win. Hard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, we'll close off every episode with a quick little number of the week. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, the number we just mentioned okay. in the quiz, it's 40. Uh, when we see 40% at the federal, which has not happened very often, uh, the, the liberals, the Trudeau liberals had some good polls at the height of the pandemic that were over 40%, but it's really rare to see 40% in polls, especially in recent years. And now we have two polls the recent polls that have the, the, the conserves at 40% or very close to 40%. And this, no matter how you slice it, would be a majority for the conservatives. Will they be able to keep that up? When you see that 4 the, the, that 4-0, uh, it really changes perspective because it, it, it could signal a change election. So my number of the week is 40. My number is going to be similar, and it's going to be 43 Okay. 43 is the support that the Conservatives had in uh, Ontario in the Leger poll. Yeah. And it was a 15-point lead for the Conservatives over the Liberals. And in the Angus Reid poll that just came out this morning, they were at 42% in Ontario. If they are getting into the low 40s in Ontario, that is game over for the Liberals. Uh, that is what Stephen Harper managed around in 2011. Uh, that's going to be key. Uh, so if uh, if... The Conservatives are maintaining that kind of support in Ontario. That's going to be trouble because we have, throughout the time that the Conservatives have been leading over the last, you know, couple of years, um, there was always a, a small gap or a Liberal lead in Ontario, yeah. and it was yeah. the saving grace of the Liberals. But Conservatives over 40% consistently, that's going to be uh, something that the Liberals are going to have to really, really worry about because that means that they're doomed. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they would not break, what, 80, 85 seats, the Liberals, if, if they, they lose Ontario by that much. So, yeah, no, those are, uh, those are terrifying numbers if you're a Liberal. Yeah, and uh, great numbers if you're a Conservative, uh, to flip the <laughs> coin there. All right, so 
I think that'll be it for this first episode of the Numbers Podcast. Uh, Philip, uh, you, you have good plans. I hope uh, you're going to spend some time out drinking with conservatives in Quebec City over the next few days. <laughs> well, I'm going to put a suit and tie. I'm going to go walk the floor. And uh, yeah, we'll see if we have a drink or two and a few chats. I'm looking forward to see how they, they react to my presence there because I'm a numbers guy. I'm not a journalist. But uh, we'll, see. we'll see how it goes. And uh, we'll tell you uh, listeners all about it next week. And uh, if you want to get early access to every episode of The Numbers and participate in our Discord, where we can chat politics and where we solicit questions for our weekly mailbag, as I mentioned before, you can become a patron at our Patreon site. You can find it at thenumberspod.ca. If you're already a patron, then thanks so much for your support. We really appreciate it, especially in these early days. We will eventually have exclusive episodes for patrons, so uh, you'll, you'll want to eventually absolutely sign up so you can get those. We'll be back again with another episode next week. We'll hear about Philip's uh, time in Quebec City. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>